Welcome back to the Riyabu podcast with Simon Littlewood and Mark Lowdy. We're turning our attention to the United States in this particular edition, which um, accounts for a very sizable part of the world economy, and a very sizable part of that economy is attributable to small and medium enterprises. By some statistics, about 32 million small and medium enterprises account for just under half of U.S. economic activity. And against that backdrop, obviously, if they're doing a tough You can imagine how the rest of the country and indeed the rest of the world is going to go. And tough is exactly what they're doing. One in three believe that late payments are affecting their ability just to keep the doors open. Late payment has uh, caused two in five to postpone hiring, a further two in five to purchasing inventory, and about one in three have cut back on the number of hours of uh, staff because they simply can't afford to keep them on. And when you look at some of the other statistics, such as inflation or job creation coming out of the US, you can see just how much of a crunch we're heading towards. On the one hand, rising costs make it very hard for businesses to to stay open. On the other hand, those costs are going to rise further because uh, the US is hiring so strongly. And as a result, obviously, wages are going to go up, and that's uh, obviously going to exacerbate the situation further. So, Simon, against that backdrop, obviously, you know, if you are a small and medium enterprise in the US, Wow, I mean, you're heading into quite a storm, right? Because interest rates are going to go up, increasing your borrowing costs. It's tough to hire and hire people, increasing your wages costs. And at the same time, if people aren't paying you on time, how are you going to pay for all of those increased costs? Yes, I mean, it's a perfect storm, you might say, for SMEs. And it's interesting. We talk about SMEs a lot at Riabu because SMEs keep the world economy growing. The fact of the matter is that if you listen to the media, you're much more likely to hear newscasters talk about the large branded companies that we know, the global MNCs that we're all familiar with, but they're not the companies that employ most people. According to this survey, about 44% of US economic growth, as you mentioned, Mark, comes from small businesses. That number is much, much higher in most of Asia, where it's between 70 and 90% in many places. So bottom line, if SMEs get into trouble, that is going to affect the employment of the majority of the workforce. So how do we deal with the perfect storm? Well, once again, we're seeing in this survey, uh, survey 1,000 small businesses by Medio and YouGov, we're seeing asymmetrical warfare, I suppose you would call it. That's a military term. But this is a situation where large companies, because they can get away with it, simply hang on to their cash longer in order to help their own cash flow situation. More than half of SMEs have experienced late payments from large companies, and that's getting worse. 47% of small businesses say late payments have gotten worse, and a significant percentage of them are worried that they might not be able to afford to carry on at all. So what's the situation? Well, we talked a little bit about this earlier, but the reality is you need to have a relationship with your customer, particularly if it's a large company. If you have customers who uh, are showing signs of paying you late or maybe are paying you late and they're a large company, it's quite possible that they can afford to pay you earlier. So how do you differentiate your customers and are you treating the important ones with an appropriate level of attention? Because you can actually do quite a lot by upping your intimacy and the way that you service them to get them to pay you on time. Because they don't pay everyone late. That's true of almost every company on the planet, unless they're approaching insolvency. They choose who they pay every month. 
And the secret of managing receivables, since we're talking about receivables, is to ensure that you are the one who gets paid on time ahead of everyone else. And you do that through a combination of relationship and service. For example, you ensure that the terms of business are clearly agreed, that you provide an accurate invoice. Might sound rather stupid, but actually it's amazing. (laughs) It's amazing uh, how often invoices do lack critical information or are late or inaccurate or in some way or another don't meet the requirements of the customer. So deal with that. Make sure that's okay. And by the way, if you haven't thought about that as a potential cause of late payment, have a look, particularly if you're a senior executive, and you may well be astonished because I've been doing work like this for something like 40 years, and invariably I'm able to show leadership within large companies how many errors are going on in the invoicing area so that when they say, why won't my customers pay you on time? You know, the answer is, well, because a lot of the time you're giving them a very good excuse not to pay you on time, right? (laughs) So the answer is take away the excuses, strengthen the relationship, and make sure that for those customers that represent the majority of your revenue, you have a close relationship and you either persuade them to pay you on time or if necessary, you come up with a mechanism to ensure that you can get that cash, possibly through some intermediate form of financing. Again, there are customers who won't make the cut. You need to know about them early and mitigate your risk. Don't do business with companies that your market intelligence tells you are in trouble and who might not be able to meet their request. How do you find that out? Well, usually through your sales team, who are seeing them, talking to them, who talk to other salesmen from other suppliers, find out when they're in trouble and reduce your liability or stop serving them altogether. Don't follow them over the edge of the precipice. Most of the time, though, anybody listening to this podcast will say, well, if I'm having trouble making ends meet, why would I then have fewer customers? Why would I weed some out? Yeah, this is is, as an advisor to companies, I've had this battle for 35 years. At the end of the day, doing business with customers from you who don't make any money is not a business. It's a charity. There are reasons that this rather obvious fact is ignored because it may have significant implications for the size of your establishment. If 20 or 30 percent of your customers are simply unprofitable because of the fact that they don't pay you on time and a combination of relatively low margins and late payment means that your effective earnings from the customer are close to zero. Plus, you have a lot of extra hassle dealing with them because you've got to you've got to coax those payments out of them. If they're really not viable, then you either say change your behavior or let us help you change your behavior, or you find some other way of dealing with them, which means perhaps giving them to a third party or dealing with them through a distributor, uh, depending on the nature of the business, dealing with them through a third party. But it's a mistake to imagine that you should carry on dealing with customers who are losing you money or a margin or at risk of going out of business because of some misplaced sense of loyalty or because of the notion that if you do, it has serious implications for your own organization. I would say take the hit every time. Really? Absolutely. If 20, 20% of your customers are not, you're not making any money out. I mean, there is a tally. The opposite of the 80-20 rule is the 20-80 rule, which is that 80% of your customers provide you with, at the bottom, provide you with 20% of your profitability. And these are minuscule customers. And they're so minuscule in terms of their contribution that once, once they go beyond sort of a a month payment term to say three or four months and you do the math and if you're paying 10 or 11% for your money, they virtually cease to be profitable at all. Don't be sentimental. This is not a time for sentimentality. The bottom level of customers from whom you make no money, either offer them an opportunity to step up or let them go. 
you might be surprised how many of them suddenly discover they can afford to pay you. <laughs> at the end of the day, it depends. Right. depending on your product. Yeah. And, and how important yeah, 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 yeah. But what about uh, the you know other arguments like you know diversification? Well, they might not be a good customer now, but at least they diversify the revenue sources. Or, if, or yeah, I mean, if I could have a quid or a dollar, perhaps should I say, for every salesman who's come to me and said, "Well, yeah, we're not really making much money out of them, but you know, in the future, they're going to be really big." And yeah, that was the other say, one I was going to say. Yeah, well, because you know. Yeah, I mean, show me the evidence, right? Would be, I mean, I'm a great believer in in investing in customers that can grow, but whether you're selling advice, which is what I do and what you do as well, Mark, or whether you're selling widgets, when a customer says, you know, give it to me at a rock bottom price, and in the future you'll get lots more business, and my response is, well, I don't want more what's more business at, uh, at zero profit. <laughs> right. Thanks very much. <laughs> so, <laughs> because there is the expectation that at some point they're going to become a bigger customer, they're going to pay you more. Yeah, well, I've had that happen. You know, so so I've negotiated a contract and said, okay, fair enough, and you give it to them almost at cost, and you do your piece of work, and then there's another piece of work discussed, and then they come up with the same thing. And so, well, you know, can, can you give us a, a discount so that you can get more work? Well, wasn't that the reason we did work in the first place? So that I could demonstrate my value, mm-hmm. and that you could then start paying me a sensible market rate. For, I mean, because they'll expect that first price to continue forever. It's very hard to grow a price back to a sensible level, as as you know. I mean, it's a big issue. Look, I understand it's not easy, particularly when you know you've got galloping recession potentially down the track. The pressure on sales, on commercial people in general, on the leadership to maintain and grow business as business becomes scarcer, perhaps, is enormous. But never, never under except under the most special of circumstances, take on business that's not going to make you any money in the near term. Particularly now, what you should be doing now is. Reducing to what I call a defensible core, which is a business which is solid, profitable, has a level of suppliers that you are comfortable with, that you know are going to treat you fairly, has customers that you know are going to grow, that pay you on time, that are good customers and provide you with a good level of activity, and be very, very pragmatic about shedding the ones that aren't going to travel with you, aren't making you any money. It doesn't matter how long you've known them or how much you love them. At the end of the day, I've seen this happen so often is you just grit your teeth and kind of hang on to your bicycle handlebars in the hope that you won't, <laughs> you know, get washed away in the tidal wave that's chasing you down the highway. Uh, <laughs> but of course you do. And you just, it's just good money after bad. So be objective, look hard at who you're doing business with, cut out the ones that simply aren't viable or are likely to become non-viable, resist voices that say, oh, well, you know, he's a nice bloke. He's going to grow next year, bloody, bloody, blah. Unless there are very good reasons indeed. So concentration, reduce to a defensible core, and concentrate on weathering the storm. Weathering the storm is about taking your business down to a size where it's profitable, probably a smaller number of suppliers, a smaller number of customers, but at the end of the day, it's profitable, it's defensible, and you don't go out of business. And you may have to shed some people. I always get, I always get such trouble when I say these things because uh, people hate to do this. They, you know, say, oh, I mean, I've got... Joe's worked for me for 75 years and I, you know, I, so I'm very sorry. Maybe it's time he took a rest. <laughs> right. So, and, and part of the reason that it is so hard is because nobody knows whether there is actually a tidal wave chasing us down the highway. No. And to some extent, the, the indicators are there, but how many times have we had prognoses from the bear side, you know, saying that it, the, the world is going to end and well, yet here we still are? To be fair, uh, you know, even when things aren't going smoothly and there's rates of growth everywhere and everyone's putting up their sunshades and sitting drinking martinis even then 
I still give companies the same advice, which is cut the unprofitable tail of customers, concentrate on the ones that have got future upside and who are honest and stick to what they agree, build a business based on that. That's the way to do it. It's always amazing to me that large companies in particular, but also small ones, could have more profitable businesses by selling to fewer customers. That's a remarkable statement. It's true. You won't read that in many places. No, it's true of almost every business of any size. You're more profitable by having fewer customers. Yes. Okay, you don't believe me? There are a number of ways of cutting this. What does it cost you to raise an invoice, for example? Somewhere between 100 and 200 US dollars, probably if you look at if you do activity-based costing and you look at the cost involved in creating it, the IT cost and so on, the cost of the any cost of monitoring uh, hours, you mean? What is that? Uh, well, all the things that go into producing an invoice. Take the total number of invoices, take the, co- the cost of producing all your invoices and divide it into the number of invoices. That gives you a cost. What does that tell you? It means just simply to pay for the cost of the invoice, you've got to make a contribution margin of, let's say, 200 US dollars. Let's say 100 US dollars. And you've got a gross margin on your products of 10%, let's say. I mean, it might be much higher, it might be less. Though I know of many industries where the gross margins are lower than 5%. What does that tell you? You know, if the cost of, of the invoice is $200, you've got to have a very big invoice. Individual transactions are not going to make money. I can't do the math in my head. What's 10% of two, it's 2000 It's got to be $2,000. <laughs> it's, 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 yeah, it's got to be $2,000 if it's 10% just to even pay for the invoice. So only at $2,000 does it start to, to make a contribution. This math is always deeply unpopular. Whenever I do these calculations, people kind of look a bit embarrassed and kind of kind of ignore it because the implication of it is typically you either migrate these customers up to taking fewer deliveries, buying more, less frequently, so you've got profitable transactions, or you simply let them go, you know? But the general view is we have as many customers as possible, we sell as much product as possible and so on and so forth. Now, there are arguments for keeping customers, but mostly there are very strong arguments for letting them go, you know, and, and when they go, of course, you also lose people because if, you know, well, right now they're very hard to come by anyway, by the sounds of it. Well, Unemployment I, rates in some countries, Australia, I'm not Australia, advocating that you fire people. I'm just saying that if they're, if they're decent salespeople, you direct them towards finding and sustaining customers that have legs, bigger customers from whom you can make money and will grow in the future, you know. So we talked about this many times, Mark, but I would I would give that advice to any company of any size that I was working with. Because usually when people think about growth, they think about more customers, don't they? Yes, they do. But they're very undiscriminating very often in terms of what they charge or the overall commercial relationship with a particular customer. So it's the gross margin on the transaction. It's how long does it take me to get paid given my cost of capital of 10% or whatever it is. So if they pay me in four months, that's another 4% off my margin. Cost of the invoice, am I really making money? Ask yourself that question. It's called a tail, and the tail sometimes wags the dog to to torture that metaphor further, which is, you know, those customers down the bottom who are contributing tiny amounts of of profit. And, in fact, you can log on to riabu.com and uh, link it with your accounting software to be able to tell at a glance which customers are in the tail, which customers are higher up, and, therefore, where you might need to make some decisions about profitability and customers and therefore, perhaps build that defensible core of business with uh, maybe fewer staff, uh, maybe fewer hours for the staff. Well, maybe more, maybe more automation. Maybe more automation, Mark. I mean, that's that's we should say that's there are a couple of other avenues where you have a, a large number of customers who are barely profitable. You might be able to find yeah, create a website where they can buy the product without involving any of your staff at all. You know, maybe there's mm-hmm. money to be made that way. There are alternatives. Yeah. By the way, all of this is in. Let the Cash Flow by Mark Laddie and Simon Little, where we talk about how you can help yourself to get through this by paying attention 
to the eight principles of the virtuous revenue cycle, which will enable you to create greater intimacy with your customers and ensure that you get paid on time. We very much want you to get paid on time. We want you to go on listening to the Riabu podcast. Yeah, and we want you to buy the book. Amazon yeah. uh, is where to get it. Uh, Christmas is just around the corner. So for all of your entrepreneur friends, buy them a copy. Or even your your great aunt, because let's face it, you know, she's sitting in the garden. Uh, <laughs> she wants something to read. She's, she's read Jane Austen 14 times. I think you could do much worse than that. <laughs> See you next time at the Riabu podcast uh, service at riabu.com. Drop us a note or leave a comment in the comment section next to this podcast.